3, <clears throat> and then we'll be over in, after a little while here, we'll be over in Hebrews chapter 10. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I don't have to spend a lot of time explaining it. You know it perfectly well that we are living in a self-centered culture. Amen? We have me time and my space and American Idol. We are living in a self-centered, self-absorbed society. And we are warned that this would happen. Amen? We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says right here, This know also that in the last days... Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And you know well this, this uh, list of, of evidences of the last days. And might I remind you this morning, this is not speaking to the world. This is speaking amongst believers uh, in, in a church setting that are members of a body. Men shall become lovers of their own selves. And at the end of this list, it tells us very emphatically, the, the admonition is, you'll see it here, from such, turn away. Do you know that word turn away is only used in this verse in the entire New Testament. It's the only one. It means to shun or to avoid. And so we are told here in this verse, there are those that are going to come in the last days. There are those that are going to come that are going to be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, tra traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such Avoid, from such turn away, from such shun. I think it's clear to see here that these qualities should not be named in a church. These qualities, these descriptions of character should not show up in the church of God. Amen? I think that's pretty easy to say that. Pretty stark words here, shun, avoid, and, and, and don't have anything to do with, turn away from. And so it's not surprising that the world is selfish. That shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't shock us that we have American Idol on as a TV. Is that still out there? I don't know. It shouldn't shock us if, if that was out there. It shouldn't shock us that we have all of these things that are self-centered. But the problem lies when we find them within a body, when we find them within a, a church. And so the question is for us, how do they get into the church? How do those attitudes get into the church? Well, it's when they get brought in. Well, how do they get brought in? Well, when you or I, who are individuals, who are members, appendages of this body, when we accept them and allow them into our life in the way that we live, when, wait, let me say it this way, when we live in a self-centered way and we come into the body, we bring that self-centeredness into the church. And the more that that happens, the more the church as a whole gets self-centered. Right? Cancer may affect one small area of the body, but if it's left untouched, it'll eventually get to all of the organs and to where the whole body is, is, uh, it's, it comes to a place where it cannot be, uh, cannot be healed or cannot be repaired. And no doubt, this, this selfishness, right, can get into a body 
and it can permeate. It can start with one individual or two individuals. I mean, friend, have you seen the culture that we're living in? I mean, it's, 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 it's actually uh, um, lauded and paraded around to be self-centered. And it gets into the body and it, it hurts the church. They will watch these traits will destroy the very purpose of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to look at the subject today. We've looked at our theme this year. I know it's not super original, but more in 24, right? We saw that God does want more, right? He does want us to do more uh, with what he has given us. We saw that uh, a few weeks ago. We looked at more heart, right? God wants that. We looked in Sunday school this morning on the heart of David. What a wonderful, I enjoyed that lesson this morning on David's heart. And God chose a heart. He didn't chose a stature, choose a stature. He chose a heart. And may God, hey, listen, God wants us to have a greater heart for him. Can I tell you, in the rest of these series of more, if we don't have the heart where it should be, the rest don't matter. Because we're just, we're just doing what we do out of a religious ritual and it's just empty and it's vain. It won't accomplish anything. It's, the heart's got to be right. And so we've looked at this more. God does want more. Yes, absolutely. He, and he does want us to have a heart that is closer to him, that is, that is enlarging and growing. And today what I want to look at is more assembling, more assembling, but why? But why? The why is the big thing here. The why, the why is the big thing. Because we could, just, we could just ramrod it through. You better show up. You better show up. But why? That'll help you. I want to tell you this morning that uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know people in here know this, and it, but it doesn't hurt to encourage us to be reminded by it that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is important. It is vitally important, amen? That is, listen, if you, if you have nowhere else to say amen, that's an easy one right there. The church is important. Why? Well, it was started by God himself, okay? We, we, we read, I've read the book in the life of Truett Cathy, who started Chick-fil-A, and it was a wonderful read. It was a fascinating read, and it gave some more context and texture when you look at Chick-fil-A and how it operated, and you see this man's life, and you, and, and you look at the whole organization differently once you know the life of Truett Cathy. And you can, I think the, the founder of Home Depot has a book out, I think the founder, uh, Green, of Hobby Lobby has had written books about their starting. And you read into the founders of these, what the world would say, these great organizations, and it's fascinating. But I'm telling you, when you read into the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, who himself said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it tells us the church is a very important thing. Right? Because God started it. And I think it's needless to say anything that God starts is vastly more important than anything that we could ever have upon our agenda outside of his will. Hey, Jesus said, it is my ecclesia. We, ecclesia means a called out assembly. He said, it's my ecclesia. What do, there's an inference there, you know. There were other ecclesias in that day. There were other called out assemblies um, that, that were date. But Jesus said he didn't make up a new word either. This was a common word. He didn't make up ecclesia. It was a normal use of the day. But he said, I'll build my ecclesia. I'll build my called out assembly. It's important. The church is important because Jesus started it himself. And it is, watch, his 
Not yours, not mine, but his. Amen? I mean, that's an easy one. I like that. Not only was it important because Jesus started it, but because the way it was empowered on the day of Pentecost. Jesus told his disciples, all in, he's been telling them, I'm going to send another comforter. I have to go away, but I'm going to send another comforter. And towards the end there, Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem. He said, don't go out. Don't go out ministering yet. I've, I've sent you out before, but I've been with you. But once I'm gone, I don't want you going out until the, 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 the Spirit has come, right? And you're going to wait in Jerusalem for Him to come. In Luke 24, 49, He said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus said, Don't go out yet. You're going to need the power. You're going to need this, the third person of the Godhead. And we know what happened in Acts chapter 2, that while they're waiting in that upper room, the day of Pentecost, the Bible said it had fully come. And the Spirit of God had descended on that church there in the upper room, the 120 of them. And there were evidences that the Spirit had come upon them. The Bible said there was a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. No, the curtains weren't blowing and the things didn't blow off the walls. And there wasn't all this stuff. It said as, that's a simile, as a mighty rushing wind. Oh, they heard a sound, absolutely, right? And then the, 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 the Bible said they spoke with other tongues, other languages. I don't have time to get into that. I, I preached a whole message on, on tongues for today at a preacher's meeting a few years back. And uh, it's a wonderful study. It actually is. But the Holy Spirit of God, as Jesus had promised, came upon that little church there and empowered them, empowered them to go out and do the job that Jesus had given his church, his church to do. Right? Could you imagine designing? Uh, okay, ladies, I'm sorry. I've got to have my own. Could you imagine guys building a race car? Right? And you got it all built. It's got a 5,000 horsepower big block. It's possible. It'd be awesome. Right? And it's set up. To, everything is set up to run down the quarter mile in about seven seconds. Oh, that'd be awesome. Right, Alan? You'd like that. And could you imagine you got it all set up and you got to go, I got to go here. You guys race. Here's the pit crew. Here's the driver. Here's this. You go race. Right? And when you leave, they pull the motor out and stand in the pits and just drink coffee. They'd say, well, it's all right there. It's really awesome. Yeah, but that's not what it was designed to do, dummy. I wouldn't, well, you might say that. I don't know. No, this is his church. And watch, he empowered it. Why? Because it has a mission to accomplish. It has a job to do. The mission was so important to Jesus Christ that he did not want the church moving forward without the dynamite Power, the dunamis of the third person of the Godhead. He said, don't even go out because you won't be able to accomplish it without, without the third person of the Godhead. I think that's pretty important, friend. Absolutely. How are they moving forward? Jesus says, I want you endued with power. Why? So they can move forward. How are they moving forward? This is why the church is important because it's a vehicle for the gospel. No, let me say it this way. It is the vehicle for the gospel it's the vehicle after the resurrection you remember the disciples didn't remember right that 
Jesus was going to rise from the dead, he told them over and over. When the ladies began to come, they kind of doubted. They didn't believe the report that he had risen from the dead. And Jesus had come to them as they were meeting. They had come to them for a time of correction. And it was at that time of correction, before the day of Pentecost, the, ch the, ch the charge and the commission went out in Mark 16, 15, when he said unto them, Go ye, plural, Y-E, that's plural. Who is he speaking to? Everybody in the room. Who was in the room? His church. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a pretty big task. To every creature? To everybody in the world? That can only be done by the Spirit of God. He said, go ye. See, the church was already started back in Mark 6, Matthew 16, right? He said, I'll build my church so the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He already had a baptized membership. He already had from, from John. I mean, he, the church didn't start at Pentecost, right? No, it was empowered at Pentecost, but it was already there and, in, and started. And so what's its goal, that the, the purpose of this church? Like that drag car to go down the quarter mile at seven seconds? Listen, the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ, oh no, not a, maybe a vehicle is a bad word, not a bad word, but it could be a better word, but it is not an organization, but an organism. This body is supposed to go out into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Crimson Avenue Baptist Church is supposed to carry out the gospel around the world. Can I tell you this morning, Bible colleges are not the vehicle for the gospel. No, they prepare for the gospel maybe, but they're not the vehicle for the gospel. Missions agencies are not the vehicle for the gospel. Denominations are not the vehicle for the gospel. Fellowships are not the vehicle for the gospel. It is not the BBFI or the GIBF or Southwide or SBC that is the vehicle for the gospel. It is the, it is the local visible church, the churches of Jesus Christ that are his churches. No, they are the vehicle for the gospel. You know what it tells you? Pretty important. It's a pretty important organism. It's a pretty important body. It's the vehicle for the gospel. The spirit and the bride say, come. The church is calling people unto Jesus Christ. The body, a body of baptized believers covenanted together to carry out the great commission. That is the church of Jesus Christ. Not only it's important because of Pentecost, because of the gospel, because of who started it, but it's also important because it was purchased with the very blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, listen, there are people that'll, that'll die by accident. There are people that will even give up their life for some great cause, but nobody gives up their life for something Voluntarily for something that's worthless. Yeah. Listen, if I'm driving into town and it's me or the squirrel, it's the squirrel. If it's me or the deer, sorry, deer. Yeah. Hope all your dear friends aren't watching. <laughs> it's you, not me. I'm not giving up my life for a squirrel. I'm not giving up my life for even a dog. I'm not doing it. Okay, is that, make, is that better? I didn't say the other one. Okay. I'm not doing it. You know what? Men and women go off to war. 
because of the, what they feel, the, the gravity and the importance of the country and the nation that they live in, that they love. They go off to war and they give up their life for, for, for in our case, in our country, for freedom and, and for liberty and for, and, and, and for, the, the, for the, the light that this nation once was and hopefully could be again someday. I mean, no, listen, people will give up their life for, some, for, for wonderful, great things. Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. Hey, Acts 20, 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Not mine, not yours. To feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. There's a second thing here. You just, I, I gotta say it. I gotta mention it. These people that don't believe Jesus is God. The church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. God, blood, God's blood, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. Could you imagine an individual that needed an organ donor because they needed a new heart? Think about that now. When the new heart was placed in their body, it was placed in there because somebody else died. Right. Somebody died. Can I tell you the only reason, the only way somebody can be placed into this body, into a body of one of Christ's churches, the only way it can be placed into that body is because somebody had to die. And you are a member, if you're a member of Crimson Avenue Baptist Church, and you ought to be, but if you are to this morning, listen to me, you are a member because Christ died. And he purchased you with his own blood and gave you entrance uh, by faith and... and, and uh, uh, gave, gave you the ability to enter this body by baptism. Absolutely. It's because of the blood of Christ. Hey, don't take the church lightly. It's not your church, right? It's His church. And, and it's only because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be a member of this body at all. Hey, if you believe the church is important this morning, would you help me out and just say amen? Amen. amen. Secondly, though, the church requires involvement. At the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, you can go read that whole chapter. It's a great chapter. <clears throat> I already told you the Spirit of God had descended upon them. They came out of the church where they were. They were 120 were in the upper room. They came out of the upper room and they went out and they began uh, to, to, to uh, preach. Peter began to preach, right? And as he is, he in, I've got it, let me find it somewhere. I've got it written down somewhere. Acts chapter 2, 14 through 36, Peter preaches a message there. And, and then in, in verses 30 through 7 through 40, Peter gives an invitation, right? This is why we have invitations. It's Bible, right? Peter gives an invitation. And in Acts 2, 41 through 42, we see all of those that respond to the invitation. What happened? It says, they that gladly received his word. They believed it. They received it. What does it go on to say? That the receivers, they that gladly received his word, were baptized. Belief comes before baptism. We know that. And then baptism comes before membership. They that gladly received his word were baptized. And the Lord added, can you add to zero? I mean, I guess you can. But normally, you don't add you know, plus zero. You've got to start with one, then you start adding to one. He added unto them, who was them? 120 in the upper room. Look at the context of chapter 2. Jesus' church, it already existed. 
he added unto them 3,000 souls. Wow. They believed the preaching of Peter. They believed it. If you were to put away whatever you have learned about what the church is and read your Bible alone and ask God to shut the filter off. I remember one day leaving church one day and I told Sarah, I just wish I could delete everything I've ever learned and start over and just read. Because there gets a lot of stuff gets in there that just isn't biblical. But if you could do that and read your Bible alone, you, listen, you will never find a believer in the New Testament who is not attached to a body. It's, no, it's not biblical. And we're going to see this later. You know where this came from, unfortunately. Catholicism propagated this idea of a universal, invisible body. But the, listen, the very definition of a church can't mean that at all. That's like, saying, that's like saying visible means invisible. That's like saying jump, uh, jump means to sit. I mean, it's the definition alone defines it for us. And a church is a body. It is a called out assembly. It is local. It's visible. It's called a body, a building of bride, Jesus says, right? And so the, what happened is Catholicism and, and who knows how this, I mean, there's also, I, I don't have time to go through all of this, but essentially this idea came out that there's visible churches like Crimson Avenue Baptist Church, but then there is the invisible church. And if you are saved, you are part of the invisible church. The Bible does not teach that anywhere. And I can show you, not, today, not now because we'll be here till two o'clock. And I know, I can tell, it won't go over well. But uh, you find me and we'll, we'll sit down and we'll show you this. The church is always local and visible. You know what people, saved people are a part of that are invisible? The kingdom. The Bible says it's within you. But the church is always local and visible. And so what happened out of Catholicism came this idea of a universal, that's what Catholic means, universal, right? Universal church. And out of that came eventually the Reformation. And all of that doctrine kind of stayed with the Reformed Catholics, I call them, right? And they came out of that. And so you find this doctrine within Presbyterianism and Lutheranism and Methodism and all of those who adhere to Reformed theology. You will see this, this idea of an invisible church. And unfortunately, some of that and a lot of that seeped in to Baptist churches as well. And you know what this doctrine has done? It has done its job to minimize the church and to minimize the involvement in it. You, you know we say the words local church, right? Do you know that's not even grammatically correct? That's called tautology. That's like saying hot fire or wet water. Church is always local, but we have to say that because many there's wrong definitions out there. So we're, we are forced to say local church to differentiate from their idea of a universal church. But listen, it has done it, it has done so much damage, right, to the local church and minimize the involvement in it. People think, well, I'm a part of the church; it has no, no, no bearing on whether I am involved in it. That's not true, because the church is what it's a called out assembly. I was on city council in a small town about 14 years ago, and, uh, and I was an alderman. I, I got talked into this. I, it was, I'm, I was thankful for the time on, on the council. I learned a lot about government. It was, it was fascinating. I liked it. But as an alderman, right, you are, you, are, you are elected, and then you're 
you're sworn in as an alderman. And throughout the week and throughout the days of the week, you just go about your business, right? You do your thing. But on one day of the month, or if there are special meetings, a meeting is called of the aldermen when they assemble. Watch, they are called out and they come together and they form what is called a quorum. And our, on our council, we had, we had six aldermen, we had a mayor, we had an attorney, and we had a city clerk. And those were called out from whatever they were doing, right, on that specific day. It was, it was said that on this day, everything else, essentially what was saying, everything else gets put aside in your life and you're going to convene, assemble at City Hall and we are going to take care of the city's business. What was that? That's a called out assembly. What was going on there on those meetings was an ecclesia, an ecclesia. It was called out. The mayor would open. They would call the meeting to order. There would be a roll call of the aldermen. There would be a pledge to the flag. There would be an opening prayer. And then there would be the first order of business. We were called out from our normal jobs. We were called out from going out to eat. We were called out from working on the car. We were called out from mowing the yard. We were called out from making quilts, right? If Judy was on city council, she'd have to put the quilt down and get in the car and go to city hall because they were called out for a specific, specific person. Why? Purpose. Why? So the city could grow and expand. So legal things could be taken care of properly like they were supposed, like they were supposed to, right? And so it, it, it took a quorum to do this. What, what am I saying? At least four out of six aldermen had to be there in person. You couldn't, you couldn't vote. You couldn't vote by, you know, by proxy. You had to be there. Right. What's another word for this? Involvement. We were involved. Not only were, were we involved with the city business on a day-to-day basis when issues would come up and I might get a phone call from another alderman and say, hey, do you know this is going on? What do you think? Oh, boy, I don't know. Send me that. And they'd email something to you and you're looking in, investigating and doing all these things. No, the work, there was work that was done throughout the week and throughout the month, but there were certain days when a part of your position as an alderman, you had to convene together legally to take care of that, take care of that role. Yeah. Can I tell you something this morning? You can have all of the people on the roles of a church. You can have hundreds and thousands on the roll. But if they're not involved, nothing's accomplished. Can I tell you, we've been called out from our jobs. We've been called out from mowing the yard. We've been called out from working on the car. We've been called out from building the quilts. We've been called out from filling the blank. We've been called out to assemble. Why? So the work of Jesus Christ is carried out from this body to Nixa and to the rest of the world. You've got to be involved. right? Why? The church is important. Why is the church important? Not only because of the, because of the man who started it, not only because of the mission that is before us, but also because of the ministry. See, watch, the church is important, and the church needs to be involved in. We need to be involved. We need to assemble, and we're going to get to Hebrews chapter 10. Don't worry. 
but the church is for incitement. Like inciting, like January 6th? <laughs> no, wrong incitement. The word incite means to stir, to encourage, to stimulate or prompt to action. Do you realize we assemble physically and bodily? We leave our homes, we leave whatever we're doing, we come to, that, to this place and assemble as a body for a purpose, right? To incite, to encourage, to stimulate, to prompt into action. Now I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to show you this. Brother Jim read the text. Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is better than the law. Amen. The law was an MRI, but Jesus was the medicine. Right? The law told us we had a problem. Jesus fixed the problem. Amen. So the blood of Jesus not only removes sins, but the Hebrews tell us that the, the, that the blood of Jesus purges us from a bad conscience. I love that if you think about that. The blood not only removes sin, but the blood also removes guilt. Removes guilt. No, you can still have some remorse, but you don't go back to the Lord after you know you've been forgiven because you know you've been forgiven. The guilt's gone. Yeah. And because of this, Hebrews tells us that we can draw close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this, we are able to be certain of our salvation. We're able to be confident of our salvation because of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. So now, with that in mind, notice this in chapter 10. Look at verse 21. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure, with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful, that promise. We have assurance. Now verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now do you notice this. We are supposed to incite one another. We are supposed to uh, uh, stir one another. We are supposed to encourage one another. We are supposed to stimulate one another. We are supposed to pr prompt to action each other uh, in, in, in this, in this uh, life that we're living. We're to pr uh, pr uh, pr uh, prompt each other to love, the Bible says, and to good works. To love and to good works. So assurance motivates us to continue our mission. Yeah. We're supposed to pr provoke each other. Well, where and how do we do that? I knew you were going to ask that, so that's why I have this next pointer. It's perfect. Would you look at verse 25? I want you to notice something first. At the end of verse 24... Now, we know these verse divisions and chapter divisions came much later. They're not, in, they're not inspired numbers, okay? We, we're thankful for them, don't get me wrong. But when this letter would have come from whomever the writer of Hebrews is, it would have come without all of this, and we would have read it in one 
setting most likely. And notice at the end of the word works, there's a colon there. So now verse 25 is going to describe, is going to define how it is that we provoke one another to, good, to love and good works. So how do we do it? What does verse 25 say? Come on, read it with me. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Huh. Well, that's all we need. That's good. How do we provoke one another to good works? How do we provoke one another to love? How do we incite each other? How do we edify one another? How do we encourage one another in the assembly? I don't think we have to define what assembly means, do we? I could have brought in a Mr. Potato Head and started putting parts on him and assembled him, right? They would have been out here and we'd have brought him in and put him on him, right? Like the city council. As we're out and are doing our business, and we come together and assemble for the business of the city. Listen, we are out and about and doing our thing. Yes, we're working every day on the things of the Lord. We're working every day on the things that God has for us. But listen, there are days, listen, there are days that this church sets up that we come from our other parts and we come together and we assemble. Why? To provoke one another to love, to provoke one another to action, to incite one another to godliness, to, inc- to, ha- to encourage one another in the mission that is laid before us. And just like our city council meeting, when it is over and the gavel is dropped and we disperse, we go out from that place disassembled and go out and carry on what we voted on to carry on and to continue in the city. The very same way we disassemble from this place at the end of our meeting times when we go out and we carry out what we've been encouraged and helped and incited and provoked to do. It's pretty important. The church, no, the church is an assembly. It's important. This assembly was purchased by Jesus. It's important, right? And you know why the assembly is important? Watch this. Because it's not for us, it's for others. Assembling ourselves together. You, you can't assemble by yourself. You're just a part of it. But you can keep the assembly from being complete. Now, I, I don't think I need to add this here, but I will just in case. You know I'm not talking about people that are in beds of sickness and affliction and, you know, things like I'm not ta- You know I'm not talking about that. There are times when people are just providentially hindered. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about a heart pattern of minimizing assembling. That's what I'm talking about. It says, as the manner of some is. Don't we see this today? That that this is the manner of some? They're assembling less? COVID did a number on us, friend. Did a number on churches. You know what churches are teaching now? Oh, just connect. We have to connect. Well, how do you connect? Well, online or however you want, whatever day of the week, whatever. If you watch into a service sometime, you're connecting. That's wonderful. It's not what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is saying. We don't assemble digitally. And let me tell you this. This is another sideline. When the government comes down again on churches, and they will, 
And, they'll, and we say, no, we assemble. Can I tell you something? We have precedence based upon what we believe, that we believe in a visible assembly and a digital assembly does not fit what God is saying here. Because remember the government didn't, COVID, oh, well, you can assemble online. You can go to church and listen to the message online. You don't have to assemble. No, we have always contended in a visible assembly. And we have always practiced that. And I'll tell you what, it's one of these days, it might help us out if we stay, if we stay consistent with that. Because you know what will happen with some churches? They're going to say, oh no, we assemble. And they're going to go, really? Well, you didn't over here. And you've dropped this service. And you've dropped that service. And you're not going to this service. You know what they lose? Court precedent. Yeah. So I think we're safe. Okay. Amen. <laughs> they're dropping them. There's an, hey, listen, there, there's, a, there's another one of us across town that no longer has Sunday night services. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. There's, I'm sure they have reasons. Right? Wednesday nights, are, I, I remember when we were little on the other property, uh, before COVID, we'd have people show up on Wednesday nights all the time, usually older people. Say, we can't find a church with a Wednesday night service. Ours quit them. Can I remind you the first service that Jesus went to after the resurrection was a Sunday night service? What do you think? Where, where, where do you think he, what, 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 when he came into that assembly, after what was it? It was a Sunday night. <laughs> they were convened together. Hey, you know who wasn't there? Thomas. <laughs> and he missed out. <laughs> right? Yeah. Assembly. Why? Look what it says. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Exhorting one another. I'm not, I haven't left the subject of assembling. I'm still talking about assembly. When we assemble, we are provoking one another, the Bible says. When we assemble, we are exhorting one another. What does that mean? To urge, to advise, to caution earnestly, to give earnest advice, recommendations, or warnings. We're encouraging one another when we assemble. Why the need for this urgency? Well, because the day is approaching. What is the day? Well, let me tell you. We know this. Time is fading away. We are in the end times. Jesus is coming. We know that. We are living in a time of falling away when, when hearts are waxing colder by the day. And listen, in the very beginning, you know what the, the church did? The, that the Jesus church there that met at Jerusalem, you know what they did? House to house daily. Daily. And the warning was here in Hebrews... Don't, for, don't forsake the assembling, right? Because there is going to come a time when it's going to be the, the normal manner. Right? Yeah. We don't want to be one of those. We need to incite each other to action. We need to incite each other to good works and love. We need to exhort one another so we can be faithful in the mission that Jesus has given us until he returns. Can I say this? It's not edgy. It's just accurate. And it's not, you know, like, it'll make you think, but it's true. 
The purpose of assembling is not worship. The purpose of assembling is exhortation and edification. That's why I don't put this. I have Sunday morning services on our stuff. I don't have Sunday. I don't have worship service. That's not what this is. Does worship go on? Yes, worship goes on. But worship goes on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And when you go to work and when you get into your car and when you're by yourself, hey, worship goes on. Our entire life should be a life of worship. But we don't assemble to worship, right? Worship happens. We assemble to edify one another. That's what it says here. We've got it so backwards today. Let me say it this way. We don't assemble for ourselves. We assemble for the other. Yeah. Martin, you come come here for for Jack. Now, Jack, I don't know what you feel about that. But (laughs) Brother Earl, you don't come here for Earl. You come for Chris. Yeah. Come for Alan. Come for Judy. No, it's others. And this is where we get all messed up. Self-centeredness has so infected the church that we believe the church is all about me and my needs. They come in, I, listen, they come and they leave. They come here and they leave. They come and leave. And they say, well, I'm looking for this. I need this. My kids want this. They need this. And I need this. Hey, have you ever thought about maybe God wants you here for somebody else? When it's not what they think they need, they complain about it. We're doing this again? I really wish we had this. Hey, do you ever think that maybe somebody else in the body needed, needed that song? Or, or, or needed that message? Or needed that handshake? Or needed that hug? Or needed that sitting at... Marco's pizza one night, you know, do you ever think that somebody else needed that? Instead of thinking, well, I didn't get anything out of that, why don't you, hey, listen, why don't you pray for the one that probably needed it? Oh, we're so backwards, aren't we? I mean, this is, it's driven our churches, certain churches for years, thankfully not all of them, obviously, but many churches, that's why churches have become a show. That's why they have the smoke and the lights and the and, and the and the and the you know the the rock and roll and all of this stuff. Forty five minutes of music and fifteen minutes of a of a devotion. Because why? Because it, like like said in Jeremiah, the people wanted it that way. Because they're selfish. It's not why we assemble. We live in a dark world. It's getting darker. It really is. Can I tell you this this morning, you know this, the news isn't going to exhort you. The sitcoms are not going to edify you. The radio talk shows, though though as good as they may be politically, they're not going to encourage you in the Lord. God designed our edification to come when we assemble. And when we do, everything that we do in the assembly ends up exhorting the body. It, no, listen, it should change the way we see everything. It, would cha- it should change the way that we sing. We're not singing for me. I'm singing for somebody else. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't sing. I, I'm just not a singer. Well, it's not for you, <laughs> right? It's for God first, but it's for the body as we assemble. 
It would change the way special music is done. It would change the way choirs sing. It would change the way that we uh, pray and give testimonies and bear burdens and give tithes and offerings. It's not about us. It's about somebody else. And you know what happens in God's economy when we invest in somebody else and have that mentality? Boy, we walk away with the blessing, don't we? We walk away encouraged. We walk away and edified. Hey, if everybody's edifying, everybody's going to get edified. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not about you. It's about the one sitting around you. Why we assemble. No, no it's, I know, I know a, a part of the encouragement of assembling one another and, and, and provoking one another is saying, hey, we can, we can keep going. We can keep passing out tracks. We can give out 10,000 tracks this year. We can keep knocking doors. We can keep doing this. We can keep taking on missionaries. No, it's possible. But listen, unnecessarily, unnecessary empty seats say it's not possible. Unnecessary. I had to get that in there. A caveat. Do you know that just showing up to church sometimes encourages somebody and you don't, might not even know it? Amen. They were wrestling with the world and they just needed to see our brother and sister in Christ because they've been beat up all day. Yeah. They needed to see somebody that really loved them. That's, that's why divisions and schisms are so awful in the body because it destroys the edification that's supposed to be going on. Have you, ever, have you ever considered that a pastor needs exhortation as well? Hey, I may not be here my whole life. I may not I plan on dying here, but there may be somebody else. And you know what? If there is somebody else before I croak or even after I croak, I'd love to leave a body to them that wants to edify the pastor too. You know, a pastor, some of you pastored, you know, you have, the same, you have the same weight on your shoulders as everybody else with the family needs and the financial needs and all of these needs. And then you add to that the spiritual battles and you add the, the, your own flesh that you're battling. You add the attacks of Satan. You add to it, uh, you know, the, the, some of the, 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 the deep waters that, you're, that the people in the church are going through that keeps you up and you pray for and, 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 the, and, the, labor, and the labor to feed the flock, Right? And to stand up to preach a half-empty building, that's not edifying. I don't know of a lady in here that would put out a meal and work all day to put out a meal and the family go, eh, and go out to eat somewhere else. We need the assembly. Don't let the liars tell you you don't. Listen, just listening to preaching all week doesn't, doesn't help. Actually, sometimes, you know what I've noticed? It gets monotonous after a while. You hear so many voices. God gave you a pastor to get fed from. Sometimes it's good just to shut the stuff off. And, uh, no, I mean, listen, I, I, I know there's a lot uh, better spreads on the table. I know that. But sometimes, hey, you know what? I, I was telling my wife the other day about this. I said, she is not trained in culinary school. She didn't, she's not a famous chef. She is not any of these things, but I, I mean it. I'd rather sit down to her meal than anybody else's. Absolutely. Because they're all good. 
said, well, you could have had uh, Wagyu mignon, you know, filet. I'm like, who cares? I think what I have is good. I knew, of, knew this man, uh, an evangelist, was at a church, and a lady went up to him and said, oh, I just wish my pastor preached like that. And he said, lady, if your pastor preached this message 280 times like I did, he'd, he'd, he'd preach like this too. <laughs> preached it 200, and, yeah, literally 200 and some times. It's really easy to get him good that way. Yeah. <laughs> and I challenge you to this morning, I'm, and I'm done here. Well, somewhat. I believe if anybody in this church had an emergency in the middle of the night and called anybody in this room, we'd put on our clothes, you'd get in the car, and you'd drive to their house if they needed it. Why? Because it was important. It's important. The church of Jesus Christ and the assembling of the body is even more important. We find ways to do what we want to do. By and large. No, I know. Some, we're just limited sometimes. Time has taken its toll, right? <laughs> but it is amazing that we figure out ways to get things done. I'll stop here. This would be a good place to stop. The church is important because of the man, Christ Jesus, who started it. The church requires involvement because Jesus gave it a mission. And the church is for incitement because Jesus gave it a ministry. Bear ye one another's burdens. Yeah. In the last days, perilous times shall come and men shall be lovers of their own selves. From such, turn away. You know how we turn away? A symbol. A symbol. I just got a couple questions and we'll close in a word of prayer this morning. Is there a chance? I don't know. I'm so thankful for the faithfulness of most, I mean, just everybody in this room. There's a, there's a great level of faithfulness in everyone. But we talked this morning in Sunday school about <clears throat> about guard, thy heart, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And we know life can get a hold of us and the, the, the trials and the things that we deal with on a daily basis can really assault the heart if we're not careful. And it's easy to not even see it coming, right? It's like the playing out in the ocean and before you look up after long and you're about a mile down the beach and you didn't realize it, just drifting with the tide. Is it possible maybe that somebody in here has drifted with the tide a little bit and maybe you've minimized the, 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 the assembly. You would never say, oh, no, I, I mean, we'll just shut out services. But listen, just because you agree with the service times, right, it doesn't mean you're assembling when you're not here just because you agree with it. Right. Are you minimi- have we minimized serving, uh, assembling? Have we allowed the world to infect our thinking process that we have minimized assembly? Have we have allowed the churches around us that, that, that are changing everything and we say, well, that's just the way it's going, right? And you get discouraged sometimes. Are we allowing that to, to uh, affect the way we see and, and, and cause us to minimize assembly?
See, the Word of God says so much the more, actually. Most of the times, it's just a matter of the heart. How concerned are we for the needs of others in the body? You say, well, I just, I, I just can't do what I used to do. And I just can't do this. And I just, I mean, nobody re- no, notices me. Yes, they do. And sometimes, and you know this, everybody in this room knows this, just watching them walk through the door and sit in their place is an encouragement and an edification. Why? Because everybody walks in the door know what they're know what they're saying in one way. It's still true. The word's still right. <laughs> it's still good. We still have a mission to to carry out. And in the gospel, we're saying we're still saying the gospel still works. Well, that's what a full parking lot tells the world going by. We still believe it, right? Let's not be like the world. Let's not let's not fall prey. Let me say that. Let's not fall prey to where the rest of culture is going and, and, and the rest of these other churches are going. Let's make sure we, we put the, right, the same emphasis on assembling that God does. It's important. Let's be encouraged in it. It can get discouraging watching other churches. It can get discouraging watching ones that seemed solid. I mean, it's one thing to watch so-and-so church. I mean, we thought they were a bunch of reprobates anyway, right? It's one thing to watch that. I mean, they, God just left them on the, on the planet, so I had illustrations, right? That's it. Nobody gets discouraging watching the ones that you thought were strong go, oh, them too? Ugh. Yeah. But what will keep that from getting that discouragement is when this body assembles like we ought to. Father, thank you this morning for the church. Thank you that it was your idea. Thank you for the power of it and the purpose of it. I thank you that you saw fit to give us a body that we could be edified in. You knew what the days were going to be like. You knew the dark days that were coming. You knew that we need each other. And I'm thankful for that. Would you help us, Lord, to rehone our our thinking on the church and on assembly. That it's not about anybody, it's not, it's not about us, it's about others. It's about being edifying to, the, to those that are around us. Would you help us to have the right viewpoint, to have the vi- vi- biblical view of assembling and that as the days go on and as, as, as time goes on that we would find opportunity even to assemble more than we have in the past. And we'll thank you for what you do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The instrument's going to play. Invitation is open even now. Why don't you raise, your, raise a hand? I'm going to ask for a raise of hands. I just want to know. I just, this is just something I want to know. How many have never really thought deeply about the reason why we assemble? Maybe you said, I've never thought about it this way, that it's to edify the body. Anybody like that? Yeah, I just... It's never been presented that way, has it? It's always about you go to church because you have this need to be fulfilled, right? How many can raise their hand and say this? This is the heart that I want to have when it comes to assembling. 
I want to to have God's heart when it comes to assembling. How many can say that? Yeah, I, I knew that. You know, if you ha- having this heart might just change the way you assemble, the way we come in, the way we sing, the way we listen, the way we respond, the way we interact with one another. Yeah. However the Lord has spoken to you this morning, maybe you just need to come to the Lord this morning and say, yes. Yes, I want this heart of, a, of assembly. I, 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 I want to make sure that my, my heart does not go anywhere else. I don't, I don't, I don't want to follow the, the, the precept of the world. I don't want to go this way. and I, I want to have the right, the right uh, biblical mindset. I want God's mind on assembling. And uh, maybe you just need to come tell the Lord, I'm in. Maybe you just need to come tell the Lord that you need help. Maybe you need to just tell him, I need help. I've had some other things come and get in the way and take away the, uh, my thoughts and, and I've just I've minimized assembling and I know I have and I don't like it. I don't even like it. You just need to tell the Lord you need help. You come. However the Lord has spoken to you today. You may think, I don't, I don't really matter that much. I'm just a small part of this body. You cut off a small thumb and see how you do in life. <laughs> cut off a big toe and see how you get around. Just a small part of the body, no big deal. No, it's all important. If God, hey, the Bible says that God places in the body as He wills. As He pleases. If He's placed you here, it's important. And you're important in the body here. Let's be closing a word of prayer this morning, and uh, we will um, have discipleship at five o'clock this afternoon. Looking forward to that. Those that are involved in that, and uh, moving.